0: All right, we're going to be continuing our series on embracing God's design for marriage. Embracing God's design for marriage. Last week, we spent our time talking about the foundations for biblical marriage. What is God's intention? What is his design? What are the foundations for biblical marriage? And we saw that it starts with understanding just the very nature of God's created order, what he has done in creating man and woman And particularly creating them spiritually equal and yet functionally different, right? There's different roles that men and women are to have. And yet spiritually before the Lord, they are equals. We are equals of one another. A difference in role does not threaten the reality that we are both sinners. We both need grace. Salvation is offered to both. We spent some time on that. We also talked about God's purpose for marriage, ultimately to glorify himself. And there were a number of other uh, purposes for marriage. There's companionship. There's service of one another. There's a characterization of Christ in the church that's put on display in a God-glorifying biblical marriage. There's marital intimacy. There's procreation. And all of these are, are crucial outflows of what God's intention or design for marriage is. These are the foundations of biblical marriage. What we're going to do this morning now is we're going to transition from the foundations of biblical marriage to the fundamentals of biblical marriage. And we're going to talk about some practical ways that we can have our marriages be what God intends, where we can have our marriages sanctified, where we can be pleasing to the Lord in our marriage by particularly addressing some areas of marriage that sometimes can be Most difficult, most troublesome, most challenging. So as we desire to embrace God's design for marriage, what we should first and foremost want is for God to be glorified. And the primary means of God glorifying himself through his people is when we are conformed more into his likeness, when we are holy before him. So what does holiness look like in some critical areas of Marriage. And last week we talked about how this is important for the body of Christ to understand. This is important for each one of us, whether or not we're married or um, single. Or pursuing marriage or marriage isn't on the table for us in the future. This is critically important because we are to, as we just looked at this morning, be connected with one another. We're to have intentional thought about how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And regardless of where you are this morning in relation to marriage, to understand God's design for marriage will enhance your ability to love and serve others, to spur others on towards love and good deeds, particularly in marriages. So, what we're going to look at this morning is we are going to look at communication, we are going to look at addressing sin, and how to be addressed in regards to sin. And just look at some basic principles from God's word regarding these things. In your notes there under communication, you can see a a brief quote by Stuart Scott talking about the importance of communication. He says, one of the biggest obstacles to a good marriage is poor communication. One of the greatest minefields within a marriage is communication. And remember how last week we talked about marriage in general and the fact that marriage is a good institution. It was designed by God for his glory. Marriage in and of itself is not hard or bad or difficult or threatening or intimidating. What makes marriage hard is the sinners that are in a marriage. It is my own sin that makes marriage difficult. And that's really important to understand because if marriage is the problem, what is the solution? not marriage, changing marriage, distorting marriage, blaming marriage. But if I understand the reality that marriage is a good institution that God has designed for his people, for humanity, and what's hard about it is my own sin, then when marriage is difficult or when things are difficult within my marriage, it's not looking to marriage as the problem, it's, it's actually looking to myself. Where am I sinning? Where am I not trusting God? Where am I not believing? Where am I not embracing God's instruction for me? So as we consider communication, it's important that we see we are created as communicators. That's God's intention. We see this from Scripture that God is the perfect communicator. He is the creator of communication. Those who would seek to communicate effectively, they must look to him for direction. He is Lord over speech. And our listening and our heart's attitudes all must flow from a submission to him. And what he has and says is to be true about our speech, about our communication. We know that God is a communicating God. Exodus 33, 1, there in your notes, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Even Genesis 1, we see God communing with Adam in the garden. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom we also have he also made the world we who are created in his image are intended to be communicating people mark 16:15 he says to them go into all the world and preach communicate declare the good news to all creation there's an expectation Ephesians 4.29, we see specific instruction on what our speech is to be like. It's not a prohibition against communication. It's actually a helpful guidance in how to view communication, how to speak. We're to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a crucial verse as we consider communication. We'll come back to it a, a few times. So, we are going to communicate. It's inevitable. It's good. Communication is a vital part of our lives. What is communication? How must we understand communication? Well, communication is simply this. It's the accurate exchange of information for the understanding of contents. There's some important words in that brief statement. It is the accurate exchange. Communication is the accurate exchange of information for the understanding of Content. God's purpose for communication is to include the building up and the encouragement of the participates, participants in the conversation. The edification for all who may overhear the conversation. Again, referencing Ephesians 4.29. The God of communication commands that all speech must serve to bring him glory. We are to seek An accurate exchange of information for understanding of content. And the purpose behind that, the purpose underlying our communication, is the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Just in the same way that we talked about the ultimate purpose and desire for marriage is to give glory to God. Well, so it is with our communication. And every word that we say, the underlying motivation and intent should be that God would be glorified through what we say. So, what is communication? It's the accurate exchange of information for the understanding of content. How does it happen? How does communication take place? If we're going to seek to honor God in our communication with one another, especially in our marriages, how is this going to happen? What are the ways that we do this? It's important to understand these. If we're going to seek to glorify God in our communication, we must understand the ways that we communicate well first we communicate with words All right that's probably what comes to mind most frequently when we think about communication is our words psalm seventeen, three: i've resolved that my mouth will not sin with our mouth we communicate we have the capacity to sin we have the capacity to glorify god we also communicate with our tone of voice if you're a parent you know this to be true There is a way to communicate a sobriety of the moment with our tone of voice. A lot can be communicated with our tone of voice. This is why, while in some contexts, texting, instant message, uh, can be incredibly efficient, and in some ways, it can be incredibly prohibitive to pleasing the Lord. If somebody shares uh, something with you that they learned from God's word... And you respond in a text, wow, sounds like you're really getting serious about your devotion to Christ. Um, And someone's maybe not thinking the best about you. They might read that text and go, wow, seems like you're really getting serious in your devotion to Christ. Oh, man, that was harsh. Or they might go, wow, it seems like you're really getting serious in your devotion to Christ. Oh, this person loves me. So just a simple change in tone can completely change the meaning of what we're saying. This is important to understand. My wife is incredibly helpful for me in this because uh, I enjoy a good conversation, a healthy, loving debate. And what I can um, be unaware of in the moment is that my excitement and enthusiasm can be expressed through my decibels <laughs> and tone. And she has this way of just gently putting her hand on my knee, and I know, I'm up here, and I'm communicating things that I don't intend to communicate about this issue, and I need to bring it down here. I need to come back down to earth a little bit. Um, We need that. We need to understand that our tone of voice can communicate dramatic, dramatic things. One way where this is critically important is in our care for one another in a moment of need or help, encouragement, even admonishment, right? We can use our tone to be a bully. We can, we can use our tone to help another recognize our presence in that moment, or we can use our tone as an act of service to help others recognize God's presence in that moment, We need to give consideration to these things. We also communicate with our body language, right? We see that from the very beginning, Genesis 4, 5. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? Or why has your countenance fallen? Communicate with body language. Somebody comes to us, brother, I have a concern. I have some things I'd like to address with you what is it? Well, that speech wasn't honoring to the Lord. All I I asked was a question. No, you you communicated much more with your body language. I need to be aware of this. We communicate both by listening and non-listening, right? We can can affirm uh, our engagement in a conversation when we're right there with somebody. We're listening intently. Maybe we're taking notes we're saying back to the person what we're hearing them. I, I heard you say this. Is that what you intended? And, and we're listening. We're actively engaged. We communicate a care, a love, a consideration. We also considerate things by not listening. If somebody's talking to us, and all of a sudden you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yep, uh-huh. They're like, I stopped talking three minutes ago. What are... <laughs> we're communicating things there as well. Just this morning, I communicated to Daniel that I had uh, a file that I needed to transfer to the laptop as he's talking to me about something, and I'm doing that very thing. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. The drum mics do what? Oh. And he's like, oh, I'm interrupting something. I didn't have to tell him that explicitly. He could tell by my poor listening. And thankfully, he was very gracious and kind. I'm sorry. I heard something like this. Is that right? Yes. And then he kept, kept going and helped me out. So, so we communicate by listening or not listening. We also communicate with our actions, right? We communicate in how we respond, with what we do with the information that we've heard. We communicate uh, how we think about somebody's thoughts or ideas or what's important to them. If somebody comes and says, it's really important to me that you don't interrupt me when I'm trying to communicate how I'm feeling about something. You know, oh, okay, I hear you. And then they go on to say, and it's... Also important, you're like, oh, let me stop you right there. Well, now you've just done the very thing that they asked you not to do. It demonstrates something. You communicate with your actions, how you respond, how you act. So we need to understand as we practice communication, the different ways that we communicate. There's also communication inhibitors. These are things that can arise that just put roadblocks to having God-honoring conversation, God-honoring communication. These are things that we should be... Uh, aware of we should have our antennas up to these things these are inhibitors uh, one of which is sarcasm the root of the word sarcasm is is a greek word that it's where we get that word sarcasm that actually means tearing or ripping of flesh that's the imagery uh, of, of that word that that brings sarcasm being a tearing of the flesh and just think about that when you respond with sarcasm what are you doing you're nipping you're tearing at their point you're trying to throw something back in their face. And oftentimes it's disguised in a way that you can try to get yourself off the hook. I was, I was just joking around. I was just joking around. Sarcasm oftentimes is a communication inhibitor. There's a place for sarcasm. But you better be very, very careful with how you use it, when you default to it. And when you're communicating with one another to respond with sarcasm, to try to try to try to coerce or or make a point, or defend yourself. That that is not pleasing to the Lord. That is an inhibitor. That is a stumbling block. That is an obstacle to having effective communication. I think it's important to realize that the call for God-honoring communication is one that is beneficial to all who hear. And one of the extreme dangers of sarcasm is that sometimes all who hear doesn't always have the context of that sarcasm. And it can be easily misunderstood. So think about that in your home. If you're trying to have a fruitful conversation with your spouse and you use you, you sarcasm and your children hear it, but they don't have context for where that sarcasm came from, you, you can actually be uh, an obstacle, communicate things you really don't intend to your children. So sarcasm is an inhibitor. Also, lazy listening. What is this? This is someone who's just waiting for their turn to talk. They check out mentally. They're not interested in what the other party has to say. Something has happened or someone has said something. They fixated their mind on this thing that now they want to respond to. And everything else that's being said is just in one ear, out the other, because they're, just, they're lazy. They're ready. They're, they want to say what they have to say. This is really easy to do in a, in a conflict, in a confrontation, in something with your spouse where you're trying to work through an issue. Maybe you're trying to defend your way of thinking. You're fighting for your preference, which just the premise of those conversations is already backwards. But you're getting in, involved in this conversation and your wife says something. And you're going, oh, sh- oh, that's not true. She doesn't understand the situation. And she's keeping talking and you just shut down your listening. It's unhelpful. Excessive talk, excessive talk. Uh, this is someone who has a motor mouth. They, they they have a motor mouth about past problems, or they continue to go on and on after they've made their point. This person, all on all of these things, the person lacks self control. But this person, especially, doesn't have a, an awareness of the moment. Lacks self control to actually make their point. And then engage in effective communication. They're far more interested with demonstrating their point. With defending their point. With justifying their point. And so they talk on and on and on and on. And uh, you know I did this because this. And then this happened and this happened. And then I went here and this happened and this happened. And you you can't even have effective communication. Because they've just opened up 10 different things. In 10 seconds. Where do you even start to respond? Can we rewind back to this thing you first said? They can't even remember what they first said. Excessive talk or exaggeration. This is this is something for some reason comes very naturally to many of us, uh, and, and is really unhelpful in having God honoring conversation. This is statements such as "you always" or "you never," right? I, I know that in our marriages. We wouldn't fall into this kind of temptation. Maybe our kids would say this with one another, but we're much more mature than this. We would never say to a spouse, I always take out the trash. Can you do it? Or, you never help clean up the dishes after dinner. It's really hurtful. And all of a sudden, we try to demonstrate our point by making these sweeping extreme statements that aren't true. It might be how we feel in that moment, but it's not true. This is a an inhibitor to effective communication. or not using self-responsible statements. This is where we look to our circumstances to try to justify what's going on around us as opposed to taking personal responsibility for what's going on. It's, it's where you should have done this or I did this because you did that. You're supposed to be my helper. Well, I'd be your helper if you were a lot better leader. That's not helpful. We must replace those types of statements with self responsible statements. I will do this, I'll do that. Instead of making declarative statements about the other thing, you can say, you know what, when this circumstance comes up like this, it makes me feel this way. I'm not sure if that's reality, but this is how I feel. Can you help me understand what's really going on here? So those are a few. I'm sure we could spend all afternoon talking about the ways that we put up obstacles to having effective communication. But these are some core ones for us to consider as we're thinking about communication that honors God. So let's put this together a little bit as we're considering uh, these inhibitors and what's going on here. What are some of the negative impacts of poor communication? What are some of the positive impacts of good communication? Well, as we contemplate our communication with each other, some of the negative impacts of poor communication are as follows. God will not be honored by a good testimony for Christ, right? We bear Christ's name as Christians, and if we're failing to communicate in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, we are bringing reproach upon the name of Christ, Also, the relationship will be superficial and strained if we have poor communication. If we don't accurately exchange communication about what we're thinking, about what we're doing, about what's important to us, about where we're at with things, our opinions, our attitudes. If we can't effectively communicate that with our spouse, there will either be a a superficial level of communication, not the intimacy that God desires within our marriages, or it will be strained. Because we're constantly feeling like we're trying to pull out from one another what reality is. Discord, conflict will be common. Issues will remain unclear and unresolved. Have you ever had that? Poor communication, a difficulty with getting out on the table what you think or feel about something exists. And so you have this cloud on your marriage where where it's just unclear it's unresolved what do you really think this about this because last time you said this and then we stopped talking and i said this and then it escalated what, what's going on here you can never actually resolve the conflict or the issue that remains or wrong ideas will remain uncorrected right? If you have poor communication, if effective communication is not taking place, you might linger in a misunderstanding that brings severe implications into your uh, care for one another, your fellowship with one another, your intimacy with one another, and it just lingers because these wrong ideas aren't corrected. And typically, wrong ideas fester and grow and breed more wrong ideas. Bitterness Will set in. Miscommunication, misunderstanding is a fertile soil, is fertile soil for bitterness. Wise decision making will be thwarted, right? Decisions that you come to together as a unit where the husband is sacrificially wanting to serve and bless. His wife, and the wife is wanting to be a helpful uh, helper for her husband, respecting him and submitting to him. How God intends those types of uh, issues that may come up to be resolved through a a loving husband and a submissive wife are hindered because of poor communication. I thought you wanted this. Well, I, I, I said I wanted this. I didn't understand that. Well, I alluded to it. I didn't get that. And then also, the temptation will be great to communicate with another person outside of the marriage, to, to run to others with a heart of discontentment or complaining or escape or reprieve as opposed to embracing the one that God has brought into your life to be your partner, your companion, to have a, a oneness with, a deep intimacy with. And all of a sudden, your marriage looks more like two teams opposing each other and you're bringing others to support your team as opposed to being one team seeking to glorify God. I heard a, uh, a story once of a young couple went through premarital, got married, went on their honeymoon and were just Miserable. All of their ideas of how wonderful marriage would be and how great the honeymoon would be were thwarted. It was heartbreaking. They come home, and the wife, upon getting home, calls up her father and says, Dad, Daddy, it's so hard. It's, it's not going right. It's not what I expected. Dad, I just want to come home. And the father said, sweetheart, I love you. You are home. Click. <laughs> now, I'm not advocating that as a father, but I do agree with the principle. <laughs> she was trying to run away from her marriage for reprieve. That's not God's desire. That, that's not his intention for marriage. That's not a God-honoring response to run away from any difficulty, from any hardship, much less to run away or to think that an escape from our spouse, whom we are to humbly love and care for as we care for our own body, is the right solution. Does that mean that a, a moment or a brief time of collecting your thoughts to think rightly is inappropriate? No. But a disposition that getting away from my partner and in a very real or permanent way is the solution? No, that's not God's intention. That's not God's design. So those are some negative effects of poor communication. What are some positive effects of good communication? Well, listen, God is honored by a good testimony in Christ. In the same way that we as Christians bear his name and when we are disobedient to Christ, we bring reproach on his name. We also have a way to to show him and demonstrate him as the great Savior that he is. We can honor God by a a good testimony for Christ. What a joy. What a privilege. And here we see that really the core of of our marriage is not personally us. It's about glorifying God, remember? And so when we are positively uh, communicating, when we are communicating in the way that God desires, the effect is that it accomplishes its intended purpose, which is to glorify God and make much of Christ. The relationship will be strengthened and meaningful when we have the accurate exchange of information, and it is a blessing to one another, and we're communicating in the way that God desires to build one another up, to encourage one another, well, then your, your marriage is strength, strengthened, companionship, oneness, that God desires, right? It's not good for man to be alone, and so he made a helper. There is an element within marriage that God desires companionship for the husband and wife with each other. There is a oneness that will be enjoyed more when effective communication is taking place. There's harmony that is present, unity, like-mindedness, similar to what Paul calls for the church, to be of the same mind and the same purpose, can happen in our marriages and it's a, a sweetness, a positive effect. Problem issues can be clarified and resolved. Maybe even today you have something lingering in your marriage that has just kind of been sitting there and you haven't been able to get your hands around it together and you faced obstacles and challenges and trials. Listen, effective God honoring communication can be a great aid to help release that burden to overcome that obstacle. To deal with the problem, to address the issue, to clarify it, to resolve it. There's hope for that. It may not happen all at once. Typically it doesn't happen in one conversation. But it should be the aim of what we're seeking to accomplish. Listen, unresolved conflict, difficult issues, misunderstandings. To think that we just, I just don't want to address it. It's too hard. I'm just going to push it aside. And to think that not addressing it will have no effect on our heart is foolish. There is a time where love covers sins, and when we truly love, we can overlook offenses. That is a very true, real reality. But to have conflict in your marriage, to have anger in your heart, to have discontentment in your soul, and to not work and labor to address that, what do you think that'll produce? What do you think will flow from that? Wrong ideas can be corrected. Misconceptions. Anybody ever had that? Where you just had a wrong misconception of where the other one was in your marriage? Not us. Never. Forgiveness and trust will be exercised easier with effective communication. Good decision making will be enhanced. There's a statement by Stuart Scott. He says, a man who communicates in a way that displeases God should not think he is a godly man. Words matter. Communication is important. What's the standard of our communication? Well, God is. He's the standard. What he has said must be what we aspire to. And in that, we must desire to please God more than anything else in our communication. This is so helpful because what happens typically, either if we have an outburst of anger, we're thinking about ourselves, or if we become reclusive and we back away from hard issues, we're thinking about ourselves. But what would it look like? In any given circumstance, if what we desired most of all is to please the Lord, this comes back to wanting to see him glorified. All of a sudden, a hard conversation isn't an obstacle to what we are pursuing. Oftentimes, it's the means. And so we have it, and we seek to have it in the right way. We must desire to please God more than having our own way. Some people like to over-talk problems. And I just, we got to dive into this immediately and we got to flush this all out. We got to get to the bottom of this and I need resolution right now. And what their idol is, is resolution and some sort of appeasement of the emotions that they're feeling in that moment. Other people idolize a lack of conflict. I just don't want to deal with it because I get all... Stressed out, I start to sweat, you know, my palms get clammy and I get anxious and I just, I can't think about something in the moment and it's overwhelming. And both of those things are wrong approaches. And it takes self-control, it takes the grace of God, it takes a spirit-filled life. To be able to overcome our natural dispositions so that we can communicate in the way that God desires. So that we can please God in those situations. So that we can have within us that eagerness to want to endure whatever we must for the glory of God. It's the same idea of being willing to pursue hardships and slander and persecution. Because what's most important? That we glorify God. To miss out on a promotion for righteousness. Because you know what? I'm not going to compromise my morals. I'm going to do what is pleasing to God. You know what? I'm going to have a hard conversation. Because I'm convinced it's what's pleasing to God. 1 Corinthians five nine says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. What a great reminder. Right? If you're in a conflict, working through an issue, seeking to bring resolution to a challenging thing in your life, to just pause in that moment of anxiety, in that moment of unrest, and maybe even that moment of idolatry, and say, you know what, can we just, can we just pray together that God would help us together to have as our, our ambition in this moment to be pleasing to the Lord? I just, I need to be reminded right now that that's what's most important, and pray together, help each other. We must desire to please God more than anything else. We also need to be humble. We need to be humble. Look at Ephesians four, one through three. I have it in your notes there. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of in the spirit of the spirit, sorry, in the bond of peace. It takes a great deal of humility to communicate for the right reasons, to not react in pride when something is being said by the other person or something is perceived as being misunderstood. And a humble man or woman is a patient man or woman. And if a spouse is humble, he or she will be patient when what they say is misunderstood or when they're having trouble understanding what the other spouse is trying to say. Right, And that's a moment where we really need to give attention to our tone and our, our physical disposition because we are communicating things in that moment. And if we're trying to understand what the other person is saying, it's so easy to try to draw them out through quick comments that actually puts them on the defense as opposed to demonstrating love and, and patience. Hey, I know you've said it. I'm, I'm really having a hard time following right now. I want to understand what you're saying. Can you try one more time? And then they share. Hmm. So, are you saying this? No, I'm not saying that at all. Oh, okay. I'm so, but let's try it again. Please help me. I want to understand what you're saying. I'm saying this. Or do you think this is well? No. Don't view those moments as obstacles. As obstacles to getting what you want, those are opportunities to serve the Lord, to love your spouse, to exude the fruit of the Spirit. You must be aware that you're accountable to God for everything you communicate. We need to think about this more. We need to think about this more. Consider Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every idle word, if you're in the NASB, every idle word, every careless word that you speak, every careless word in your marriage that you speak, you'll have to give an account for. God hears every word. This is critically important when we're considering our speech with one another to recognize that there is always an audience. Have you ever noticed your tone changing Your disposition changing, your words changing if you're in the hallway at church versus if you're in the hallway in your home. Why would I influence your speech? Why would somebody else in here influence your speech and not God? God is present at every moment. He hears it all. We need to be aware of this. We need to be mindful of this. You must know how to listen. Good communication is dependent on good listening skills. If a person is a good listener, they'll most likely not jump to conclusions. You'll draw the other person out. You'll seek to love the other person well. You'll want to listen and listen well prior to concluding your thoughts. Proverbs 18.13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is a, a folly and a shame. This is where that inhibitor of hearing something and then that triggering us into all the things that we want to say and we shut down and we're not listening anymore. That's where that becomes critically important, an inhibitor, and we must know how to listen. We must cultivate this. We must seek to grow in this. You also must know communication involves more than just words words as we talked about earlier. Tone of voice, body language, deeds. Be sure that your deeds communicate the same thing as your words. Don't just say what is right to your spouse, but do what is right for your spouse. Do what you know is right. Have a communication that serves your spouse as you're caring for them, considering them, dying to self for their benefit. And then lastly, what we see here is you must be willing to put forth the effort, spend the time. The energy that it takes to communicate. It does take time. It does take energy. Typically everything that is pleasing to the Lord takes some intentional purpose, right? Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to leave the God that we love like we sing. Our natural inclination and disposition is not towards God. That's why we talk about the disciplines of shepherding your heart, caring for your heart with truth, reminding yourself what is right and good, what God desires. Shepherding your heart, preaching truth to yourself. Take the time. Romans 12, 10 and 2. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. As we've been looking at on Sundays, not lacking behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer. How much more should these principles for the believer in our interaction with each other be first and foremost manifested in our homes? We must be willing to put forth the effort and spend the time that it takes to communicate effectively. Now, before we jump into addressing sin, being addressed by sin... There's some homework for you again on this section. I encourage you to go through these questions. Uh, if you're not a humble person, you probably will be after doing this. Ask these questions. Are there any areas of communication in which you need to seek your spouse's forgiveness? If yes, make a list and humbly seek their forgiveness. As you ponder these things. Oh, when he talked about sarcasm. that I do that all the time. I also use... Exclusive statements all the time. (laughs) And repent of those things. And go on. You can read those questions. We're going to jump into the next section as our time is already passing quickly. We're going to talk about addressing sin in the marriage relationship. As we're considering communication that pleases the Lord, one of the areas where it's easy to get hung up in our communication, so if you've got this, I want to glorify God, an area that's particularly challenging is communication, and an area that's particularly challenging in communication is in talking about sin. Well, that's where we are now, addressing sin in the marriage relationship. First and foremost, it's important to just understand All husbands and wives sin. Just get that out there on the table. Captain Obvious up here. We all sin. There will be times. There will be times when we sin. There just is. If you have a thought, not in my marriage, not me, you're just delusional. We are going to sin. We have to get that up front. There will be times when you have to deal with sin in your marriage. And yet God has given us what we need to be able to do so in a way that is pleasing to him. There will be times when the most loving thing a spouse can do is to point out sin and care for that spouse. And there will be times, hopefully more often, where the most loving thing you can do is let love cover that sin. Our fundamental problem is not ignorance of what is right. Our problem is selfishness of the heart that causes us to care more about what we want than what is right. So we have to be willing to confess. We have to be willing to forgive. And it's only when we commit ourselves to this practice, an intentional practice of addressing in humility and love and being addressed humbly, where we can have our marriages exceed or embrace what God desires. So, reasons to desire that sin be addressed in your marriage. First, sin matters to God. Also, if God's glory is your ultimate aim as a couple, then you should long for sin to be rooted out within you. You should also long for this because you love each other. You want to build each other up. You care about one another. Because... As believers, it's commanded. We're to bear each other's burdens. We're to, we're to go to one another when someone sins. So we should desire for sin to be addressed where it is present in our marriage. This is a key component. We could say, oh, yes, yes, I desire sin to be addressed. But when you're addressed, all of a sudden you don't feel the same enthusiasm. We need to be consistent in that desire. We need to desire God's glory above all else. And you know what? If me having a hard conversation where things that I did wrong are pointed out is what it takes for God to be glorified, let's do that over and over and over again. And that just takes a fundamental heart disposition towards what we think about sin, what we think about conflict, what we think about our spouse, where we say, you know what? I'm willing to lay down and take whatever I need to take. I'll endure... 50 inquiries that are false if there's one that's true. Because I want to be holy. I want to please the Lord. I don't want to sin against God. So how do we address this sin in our marriage? Well, we need to know that the issue is indeed sin. If we're going to go to our spouse with an admonishment... We have to be careful that we don't have a standard that is higher than God's. We can't go to our spouse with an admonishment that is rooted in our preference. So if you're going to care for your spouse in a loving way in regards to sin, you need to know, be diligent, be faithful to know that this indeed is sin. Don't presume that we know what is right. Don't presume that we know our wife's motives. We need to investigate. We need to ask questions to draw out our spouse. We need to understand not only the action committed, but the heart behind it. As we lovingly care for one another. We also need to start with assuming the best in our spouse. Hope all things. Don't run to, they did this, therefore they must have had these motives. You have these motives. You need to repent. No, assume the best. We also need to look to ourselves first, right? A a husband who is perpetually angry comes home disgruntled, agitates his wife, his wife responds in anger, and then he goes, why are you so angry? (laughs) Is not in a spot to care for his wife in regards to her sin, right? The log in the speck. We need to look to ourselves first. We need to be careful. Give, give contemplation to ourselves so that we don't also fall into the sin. We need to understand forgiveness. We need to come not as a, as a judge seeking to render out uh, condemnation on the issue. You did it again. You ever going to stop? No, we need to understand forgiveness. We need to forgive in our heart. We need to be full of grace. Oh, think of the unmerciful servant, right? Whatever your spouse has done against you, whatever sin you have seen in your spouse, is nothing, nothing compared to what you have done against a holy God. Start with that. Start with that. Be more concerned for their holiness than your vindication. Help your spouse identify a path for walking in repentance. Don't just bring about a you sinned, you shouldn't do this. Help aid your spouse in pursuing repentance. What might this look like? Husbands, you come home, you're exhausted, your wife seems impatient with the kids. And you come alongside of her, and you give her a hug, and you thank her for her labor of love, for embracing the role that God has put before her. You tell her how much you appreciate her. You might even say, it's clear that it's been a hard day. I'm so sorry you've endured that. Why don't you go just take some time with the Lord? And I'd love to take over dinner preparation. Okay? Advocate for your wife's holiness. Make obedience to Christ as easy as possible. Serve, love, care, sacrificially. Be patient, right? God is so patient with us. He doesn't reveal to us all sin that is in us and demand of us perfect repentance at, at every moment, right? He, we're not fully sanctified in one moment. If God laid bare all the wickedness of your heart right at this moment, it would just be overwhelming right? Be patient. Change can take time. Walk humbly alongside your spouse. And then live a life that demonstrates that you're for your spouse. This is so helpful in your marriage. Love your spouse well at all times. Encourage your spouse. Build up your spouse. Point out God's grace in your spouse. If your spouse isn't a believer, simply thank them. Demonstrate love to them. Honor your spouse, care for your spouse, demonstrate that you are for your spouse in every possible way that you can. So that when you come to your spouse with a concern about an area of sin, your track record has shown and proven that you are for them. You want what is good for them. You're not coming out of discontentment or anger or selfishness. You're coming because you care about them. And you know what? The whole of your relationship actually reflects that. Husbands, in the way that you sacrificially lay down in service of your wife. Wives, in the way that you humbly submit and help and embrace your husband's godly leadership. And then keep it private. Right? This is one of those things that is especially difficult in a small group setting where we talk through core questions. It's so easy To kind of lay out your spouse's sin and how you want to respond in the right way. And you kind of mask your own sin with gossip about your wife's sin. We can't do that. We need to be transparent. We need to be open. We need to be honest. But we can't be gossips. We address what's going on in our heart. We confess what's going on in our heart. We should want to protect our spouse. Love our spouse, esteem our spouse, build our spouse up. All right, our time is done. We will pick up in how to receive correction next week. And then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, conflict, excuse me. So not necessarily just addressing sin or being addressed. Oh man, this is tough. I just told you to go address sin and I'm not telling you how to receive it. So maybe just be patient this week and let love cover sin as much as possible. Before you go just running and putting this into practice. Next week we'll talk about how to receive correction. We'll be talking about just conflict. So maybe two parties aren't sinning yet. But there's differences of opinions. How do you work through those types of issues? And then we're going to talk about parenting as one. What is God's desire for the marriage relationship? And I'll just tell you my favorite. I love being a dad. I've always wanted to be a dad since I was a a boy. I love love, love being dad. a dad. The absolute best part about being a dad is that I get to be a husband to a mom. I love that. And I'm really excited to talk about uh, parenting as one and God's intention for that as well. So that's what we will cover next week. Uh, you are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here.